Good morning, Redeemer King, live from Chesterfield. It's Sunday morning, Andy Kind with you here this morning. I hope you're, you're doing well. It's so tasty to be uh, uh, congregating online all together. I don't know why I use the word tasty, but I'm just in, in a good mood. I've got some nice new coffee. I've got a nice new cafetiere. Life is pretty good. And we're continuing going through uh, Philippians. I'm doing Philippians 2 verses 14 to 30. It's sort of split into two halves. We're going to mainly focus on the first half. But good news, everybody. Alan's back. Hello, mate. We haven't seen you for a while. For several months you've been, uh, you've been out doing your own thing. What have you been up to? What's that? You've been uh, stepping in as a fitness instructor for BBC Breakfast. Go on. That's it. Come on. Hit it. Hit it. Right. Come on. Oh. Well, you look good for it anyway. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 30. I'm going to read the first half of it, and then, as I say, we're going to spend most of our time focusing. I thought what we'd do is just look at a couple of things, straighten them out, a couple of theological points, put them together like we've normally been doing. So, here we go. I feel very encouraged by the Bible in general, so hopefully, it's increasingly difficult not to speak to an audience, but hopefully the uh, boisterous energy I've got in me today will, will help you to be uh, enamoured of this. Here we go. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What a way to start. <laughs> Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I had to take my shoes in, my walking boots. Um, we've got quite a big walking and running club in Redeemer King and I had to take my walking boot into the cobblers. I've never been into a cobblers before. It was like uh, going back, in, it was like Goodnight Sweetheart, like going back in time. And uh, I, uh, I took my boot in and uh, I said, how are things going for you? Because remember, I'm also town centre chaplain uh, when, I, when I'm able to be. I said, how are things going for you? His name uh, was Richard, which is the name I give to anybody if I don't know their actual name, but his name actually was Richard. He said, well, it's going quite well, touch wood. Um, I don't want to jinx it, he said, but we're getting lots of work. I said, well, I don't, think you can, I don't think you can jinx it. I don't think anything you say will affect that. He said, it's just that I'm very superstitious. It's my Catholic background. And I thought, that's so sad. It's not this guy's fault. But he was saying that, you know, he'd even, if he sees a magpie, he has to find another magpie. And what's really interesting about superstition, I should say, it's not simply Catholicism that can create this. Any kind of, any kind of Christianity which loses sight of the point of Christianity, which is relationship with God, will deteriorate into stuff like this. Superstition is a really weird thing because someone who's superstitious acknowledges 
that there is a sort of spiritual order to the cosmos, but tries to kind of placate the cosmos or God using little games, little command tasks, if you like. And this is what this, this guy does. So there's this sense of, yeah, there is an order, there is a, there is a, a behaviour that we need to follow, otherwise there'll be consequences, but it's so impersonal, it's so detached. And this is what happens when Christianity loses Christ. It becomes about a series of commands and regulations. If you take the relationship out of Christianity, you just get religion. That's what religion is. Religion is Christianity without the relationship. That's what I mean. That's what we mean at Redeemer King, where we talk about religion, in inverted commas. Religion is just an unfurnished house. It's just a shell. You've got the structure, you know, the, like the rules and the regulations. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's a, a rule. It's, it's a regulation. It's a, it's a command. That's the structure of the house. But religion leaves the house unfurnished. And the gospel doesn't do that. So Paul will go on to tell us why we don't do everything grumbling and arguing. A religious person will think, oh, you see, the Bible tells you to not grumble or argue. Otherwise, God will be angry. That's the religious mindset. If I don't find the second magpie, the universe will punish me in some way. I'll have bad luck. What does Paul say? Do everything without grumbling and arguing, not in case God's angry, so that you may become pure. So that you may become pure, so that the stuff that's staining you will get bleached white. So that you can become a child of God. Not an obedient factory worker, but a child of God without fault. The Bible doesn't simply say, don't commit any faults. The Bible says, you are a child of God, so act like it. You've been offered this amazing relationship. So what Paul does, he starts with do everything without grumbling and arguing. There's the structure of the house, the commands. Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So there is a structure. Christianity does have structure. There are commands. There is obedience involved. But the gospel furnishes that structure, it furnishes the house. The gospel lays down plush carpets, puts in an ottoman and a leather armchair, installs a lovely marble fireplace and then heats it. We've got, we're gonna look at the two different corruptions of, of Christianity that we find at the moment. But what I want you to think about, have in your mind is that idea that the, the gospel, what it means to hold firmly to the word of life, which Paul's going to go on to say, what that means is, is to live in this house where there is structure, there is a foundation, there are boundaries, but there's comfort and warmth and hot food and light, and it's amazing. So stay indoors, <laughs> you know, stay indoors with your, with your father, with the God who has given you all of this. So let's uh, carry on. I've got loads of notes. They're a bit higgledy-piggledy. So Paul 
doesn't just build a house of structure and rules and regulations, he then furnishes it. You've got the two corruptions of Christianity. You've got religion, which is the uh, rules without the relationship. And then you've got progressive Christianity, which is a, a bit of a catch-all term. But basically, it's, it's the other side of that spectrum, where you've got relationship without any kind of regulation. People who say, oh, I don't believe in structured church. There's no such thing as an unstructured church. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as an unstructured anything. You can't, <laughs> you can't exist without structure. Even, you know, even water has a structure to it. You know, it has a kind of molecular structure and water goes all over the place. There's no such thing as an unstructured church. Um, progressive Christianity basically will say things like, um, oh, I don't take the Bible too seriously. I just, it's just all about, it's all about relationship. But again, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So there is a call to follow Jesus. But the, the good news is this. And if you look back at the, the superstitious cobbler man, who was a lovely man, and uh, I'm hoping to sort of build a friendship with him. The good news is that God hasn't left us with a blank map. So spirituality, the, the journey towards God or everlasting life or whatever you want to call it, it's not a blank map. It's not a sat-nav without a voice. I think people who, are, who fall into superstition or feel it, fall into this sort of religious fear of God, I must act a certain way or God will be angry with me. They act as though they're sort of stumbling through life without any kind of signposts. As though there's a, you know, there's a map of life and it says you are here, so you know where you are, you're here, but there's no signs to the exits. Whereas really, biblical Christianity, if you, if you actually hold firm to the word of life and you, and you study the word and you actually invest in it and engage with it, you realise that there, is, there are signposts, there are exit signs. There is a, a spiritual satnav. There are markers on the way. Jesus says, follow me. And then, he, and then you get to follow him. So life might be amazed, but you get to follow the leader. He says, I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So you know that when you're following Jesus, wherever you're going, he's been ahead of you. So we don't need to stumble around finding another magpie or, you know, worrying if we walk under a ladder or we smash a mirror. It's superstition. It's, it's nonsense. It's based on this false idea of a distant, punishing, you know, God, in inverted commas. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God came to find you. God came to die for you. God came to tell you that because he lives, you can live also. It's, it's, really good. it's really good news. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow my commands, it's not so that he can control you, it's so that you can have life. That's why we are obedient to Christ. And again, the Bible says things. It does say, um, it does say that you were bought. It does say that you're a possession. And it does say that you're a slave. But you were bought at a price. Heaven went bankrupt to get you back. You are God's special possession and you are a slave to Christ. 
the source of love and light and life and goodness who took on the powers of death and destruction so that you could really live. So you do need to be obedient, but you're obedient to that story, that story where you are safe in a structured house, a house that's not going to fall down, a house that's not built on the sand, a, ho a house with plush carpets and leather armchairs, whatever your preferred furniture is. So when you're praying, why don't you, why don't you think about it like that? When you're spending time with God, spending time in your word, rather than just looking at words on a page, just picture yourself. Use your imagination. Picture yourself in that, in that special place. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. So what will your room be like? Imagine a place where you could really commune with God. For me, it would be a lovely study with a fireplace and a warm fire and a leather armchair and, and Alan with his, with his patch. Just sitting on my father's knee and listening to that amazing story that does have a moral to it. it, does have morals. Morality is a thing. Morality isn't a dirty word. But everything that we're commanded to do is for our good and the good of people around us. Let's, um, let's carry on. So stay indoors, pull up to the hearth. How do we do that? We do that, as Paul says, by holding firmly to the word of life. Reading your Bible. Not just reading it, but letting it change you. Paul will go on to say that we should show genuine concern for welfare. This is in the second half of that. Paul isn't interested in facade. Paul wants whole life transformation. You know, you can, you can blag a Christian life. If, if you know the right words to say and you've got enough emotional intelligence, you can blag a, a Christian life. So Paul says, don't, don't do that. Have, show genuine concern for people's welfare. Don't just pretend to love people, actually love them. Because Paul does. Paul has poured himself out like a drink offering. Paul is being drained of his past identity and filled with this new identity in Christ. So you can tell who um, you can tell who holds firmly to the word of life. You, you can tell someone who's reading their Bible. I say this quite a lot, I think. But I think it is true. Um, you can tell the people who are reading their Bible because they do what it says. So if I meet with somebody and all they do is grumble and argue, I know that they're not in their, in their word. I know that they're not holding firmly to the word of life. But again, reading your Bible is not a chore. Reading your Bible is not a chore. It's, it's the entrance to a treasure trove. It's the source of life. You've got religion, which leaves the house unfurnished. And you've got progressive Christianity, which has all the lovely stuff, the comfort and the relationship, but without the structure. So basically, you take your comfy armchair and you put it outside in the garden. That's what this progressive Christianity does. The people who don't read their word because they're all the, I don't want to take I don't want to take it too literally. There's some stuff in there that I don't really agree with. You're basically just deconstructing your house, which leaves all your furniture open to rain and stormy weather. I don't know if you've ever left an oil painting out in the rain. It doesn't look like an oil painting for very long. You need the structure. You need the relationship. It's both and, not either or. So, 
Paul says, hold firm to the word of life. And what happens if you do? Because that is a, it's, a, it's a challenge, that is something that you have to do. What happens then? By doing that, it's a small price to pay because he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Wow! Wow! You will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will become pure and blameless. Children of God. Children of God. The source of love and joy and peace welds you into his family and you get to live out of that place. It's amazing. It says, we're in a warped and crooked generation. This is the thing we need to understand. Every generation is, is crooked and warped because people don't want to follow God. People want to stumble around on this map on their own, finding their own, their own route. And people want to say things like, uh, yeah, I want to, I believe in God, but I want to be free. I, you know, I believe in free. I've got, I've got rid of religion because I believe in freedom. I wanted to be free. And again, the religious mindset thinks of God as saying it's my way or the highway. The other side, the hyper progressive side, which is all about feelings and relationship, just really says the same thing, but over personalizes it. Well, it's my way. It's my way or the highway. It's not God's way or the highway. It's my way or the highway. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to travel where I want, how I want. The problem is, if everybody in the world says it's my way or the highway, what you end up with is a massive traffic jam of people trapped on a highway. You just have a massive roadblock because nobody's giving way for anybody else. No one really knows where they're going. There are no exit signs. You don't really want a world where it's your way or the highway because that allows everybody else to cut you up without any kind of recourse for complaint. So society is not neutral. Every generation is warped and crooked. And you're called, you're called to be stars. You're called to shine like stars. And, and this is, again, where religion, I'm trying to build up this this third way for us, this middle ground between on the one side heartless, soulless religion and on the other completely weird, unstructured progressiveness, which is just a which is just narcissism, really. You need to stay in the middle. You need to stay. This is the middle. This is the middle ground. This is your home. You need to stay in this. Hold firm to the word of life because this is alive. It's living and active. It's the source of life. It's not the words, but it's the relationship you can have through reading these words. Air keeps your brain alive. Food keeps your body alive. The word keeps your soul alive and helps you to shine like a star. And if you think about stars um, if you think about things that are pure light light doesn't flee in the face of darkness 
So Paul uses the phrase warped and crooked generation, but it's not something to be scared of. When you come into a darkened room and you turn the light on, the darkness flees into the corner. That's what we're called to be. We are light in the darkness. We are not an ice cube in the middle of a furnace. You know, we are not infantrymen cowering behind a tank with a tank. You are called to shine in the middle of the warped and crooked generation, not to protect yourself from all the naughty, ungodly people. That's not the call. Again, that's a call of religion. There's a, you're in a dark world, you need to come out and be separate and avoid these people. But that's treating yourself like an ice cube in the middle of a furnace. And you will just melt and melt and melt and all of a sudden you'll be nowhere. You'll just be spread so thin. You're light in the darkness. Yes, it's a warped and cro crooked generation. Yes, it's a dark sky. So shine like a star. You are a point on God's map. You are an, a sign to the exit. You are a navigable point towards God for people who've been stumbling around in superstition. Shine like a star and point people towards the sun. Because again, you've got religion that says, I'm unimportant. Progressive Christianity or, you know, this societal view of self-indulgence and individualism, hyper-individualism, basically is about self-importance. So you've got religion, which is unimportance. You are unimportant. Society says you should be self-important. It's all about you. And the middle ground says you're important because you were bought at a price and you're God's special possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The creator of the universe died to show you how much he loves you and that you can have fullness of life that you, given that you're going to be enslaved by something, be enslaved to the source of joy and peace and real freedom. Tie yourself to that. Chain yourself to that. Come and sit within that room. Shine like a star. So grumbling and arguing isn't the opposite of blind submission. The Bible, Christianity is not about blind faith. It's not about blind obedience and blind submission. It's about real sight. It's about proper fellowship. The opposite of grumbling and complaining is proper fellowship, proper community, first with God, then with people around you. We're called to be a web of lights, stars in the sky, a web of lights. We're not called to be a series of individual sputtering candles. That's not the call for the church. And you do it by plugging into the source of life. So let's give some examples. This is what we mean by holding firm to the word of life. It, it, the answers are here. So when you're feeling insecure about different things, you can come, you can turn to this because God wants to tell you good things. So sometimes you might feel insecure. Maybe I'm like a cosmic accident. Maybe I'm unimportant. Psalm 139 says, no, that's not, that's not the case. You are 
God's thoughts about you are more numerous than grains of sand on a beach. Maybe you think, oh, what if God changes his mind about me after my behaviour? No, Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He won't change his mind about you. Oh, I feel, I feel as though I'm less important. I feel as though I'm less than somebody else. Other people are better than me. No, 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 no. Several times in the New Testament it says God doesn't have favourites. God doesn't show favouritism. You are his favourite along with everybody else. You are esteemed and valued. You have inherent worth and dignity. Oh, but I'm struggling with sin and addiction. Has that maybe, has that affected my salvation? Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's what we mean by holding firm to the word of life. If you don't believe what God says about you, you will end up believing what other people say about you, about what the world says about you. And the world seems to promise nice things. Oh, you know, put yourself first. You know, show self-love and self-compassion. It's just isolationist. It just ends up separating you from the people in your life. Again, you find yourself outside in the rain Yes, you've treated yourself to a nice armchair, but now it's soaked through. Don't put yourself first. Let God put you first. And you put others first. The, the best way to cure a sense of rejection, the best way to cure a sense of um, what, despair, is actually not to do something for yourself, but to do something for other people. To start to weld yourself into community. It seems counterintuitive, counter but Jesus dying on a cross seems counterintuitive and it still seemed to do the trick, so maybe that's okay. We're nearly done now. Paul says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, so even if everything, <laughs> all my energy and all my you know life is being sort of poured out given out it's not a chore because he says i'm glad <laughs> i rejoice with all of you and you should be glad and rejoice with me too paul doesn't see service or sacrifice as a sacrifice he sees it as a calling he sees it as a as a joy and this is what i mean when you give out in community you actually you actually find yourself partnering with joy you do something for other people rather than yourself and you'll develop the things that you really want the, the joy and, and the well-being and you'll avoid narcissism and hedonism and self-indulgence the things that actually our society tell us is okay to to desire the gospel says differently you're called to be a star. That's great. That's good news. But even the stars fade when the sun comes up. And your job is to be a star pointing to people towards the sun. Again, just a couple of things about the second half. Paul says that Timothy shows genuine concern for your welfare. Paul is interested in authenticity, not facade and not appearance. Not appearance of order, but whole life transformation. Root and fruit. That's what we want. Root and fruit. This is your root and you'll bear fruit. You spend time in this and you will bear good fruit. And people 
will say, oh, that's tasty. <laughs> I don't know, I've used the word tasty twice. It's a very strange thing to have done. See, we're not called to be religious automata, we're not called to be religious robots, and we're not called to be gods in our own right. We are called to follow God, to follow Jesus, and thereby to have proper life, his light pulsing through us and pulsing from us. It's very reassuring when Paul says, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> how relevant is that today? So again, he's framing these two things. Everyone looks out for Jesus Christ, but that's not what we're called to be. We're not called to be that. The, the great thing as a final thought, in 1 Corinthians, which, I've been, which we've been doing as our, as our Connect group, at the moment, um, Paul talks about how he says, I, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't even judge myself. So you find Paul is not somebody who has a low opinion of himself, as the religious mind would do, or a high opinion of himself, as the secular progressive mind would do. He says, I don't care if I'm judged by you. I don't even judge myself. Paul is somebody who has a low opinion of his opinions of himself. And what he doesn't ever do is allow his opinions about himself, good or bad, to stop him being who he's being called to be. So in Philippians, he talks about having sorrow and having anxiety, but he never lets that stop him from following Jesus. He never lets that stop him from sacrificing his life because that's the deal. That's the core. Don't let anxiety, don't let sorrow, genuine things, don't let these things stop you from being who God has called you to be. Don't forget who you are. You're a star in the sky directing people towards the sun. You are a really important point on God's map. For so many people in your life, you are the voice of the sat-nav taking them to their destination of relationship with Jesus. In all these things, let's remember what Paul says again in 1 Corinthians. We've been given the mind of Christ. So let's use it. Let's use the mind of Christ. This week, there are people out there who are in darkness. And you can be a light to them. But you have to hold firm to the word of life. You have to realise who you are. You have to live out of who you are. Light isn't scared of darkness. So let's not go into the world trying to protect ourselves from, you know, worldliness. Let's understand that we are sons and daughters. We are slaves to Christ. We are chained to him. Nobody's going to tear us away from him. And let's go in to these situations at, at work, at school, on Zoom, whatever, and just bring some light. Because it's, it's really good news. And... Don't grumble. <laughs> Have a good Sunday.